and welcome back to the Inclusion Solution Live podcast. I'm your co-host, Gabby Gonzalez, here in the studio with my amazing co-host, the Mary Frances Winters, founder and CEO of the Winters Group and lead author of Racial Justice at Work, Practical Solutions for Systemic Change, the book that this podcast is based on. Today, we have lead instructional designer, Scott Ferry, who is also a co-author of the book, and he's going to be talking about one of his chapters today. Mary Frances, how are you entering today? Hi, yeah, thanks, Gabby. Uh, good to be back with you again. And I am entering today um, feeling really well, feeling really, really good. It's always good to do these sessions and to, you know, provide um, information and share our thought leadership with everybody. So these um, podcast recordings make me happy. <laughs> Aw, love it. Scott, how about you? How are you entering today? Uh, I am entering wonderfully. Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm, I woke up in a good mood and uh, it is maintained. And I'm always excited. So that's my usual. <laughs> it's your usual check-in. You are. And you always are in a good mood, Gabby. And I love that about you because you bring you bring that, um, that you spread that goodness and good mood all around for our team. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah. So Scott, um, thanks for being with us today. Um, We'd like our listeners to hear a little bit more about you, who you are, um, how you came to this work, and then tell us about your chapter as well. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, as Gabby said, I'm Scott Ferry, the lead instructional designer uh, with the Winners Group. Um, I am a white, heterosexual, um, cisgender man. Um, I am a Midwesterner by birth. I am a Southerner by uh, uh, history, I suppose, and uh, currently a Baltimorean. Um, I am a, a brother, a son, an uncle. Um, I am a, a friend. I'm a learner. I'm a teacher. Um, I'm a reader. I'm a music lover. Uh, I am now a gardener. <laughs> I'm suddenly an avid gardener. Uh, and um, I think I'll stop with that one because that is actually how I'm spending the majority of my time. Well, what are you planting? <laughs> um, so I have planted, uh, I planted flocks. I know it's kind of a standard uh, plant, but I love it. I just love, I love flocks. Um, so I'm not gonna really probably feel the, or see the rewards of that for another, uh, for another year. Um, but also I inherited rose bushes. Mm. Very, very well established, very large road bushes. And uh, that's, it's just a lot of work. It's very fun. I, I like it, but um, I've never taken care of roses before. So I'm spending a lot of time fighting aphids and, and, and pruning and preparing the beds. I planted a bunch of marigolds yesterday mm. under the roses. I guess, I guess they're, they're good for keeping uh, pests away from roses. So these are the things I'm learning. <laughs> roses, rose bushes are beautiful, but then the thorns, you know? <laughs> get pricked by them yeah that sounds great yeah yeah my hands are are, are all scratched up but, are they okay yeah but the way i the way i look at it is if if at the end of the day i have dirt under my fingernails it's been a pretty good day yeah that's that's great that's great so tell us a little bit more about your chapter um allyship um for all and you know why that topic resonated um with you uh, because i think we had choices um, in terms of the authors, you had a choice in terms of what you wanted to write about. And so what brought you to allyship? Yeah. Um, 
so the, the seeds of this were, were for this chapter and, and, and for me wanting to write it, uh, it was really sown during the summer of 2020, um, right after George Floyd's murder, when the protests for racial justice were sweeping the nation, the conversations about systemic racism and about injustice were were suddenly happening with you know, with increased frequency, increased increased fervor, um, and then suddenly a lot of white people who had not really been involved and hadn't really had their uh, their eyes open suddenly suddenly they they started to get off the sidelines and, and, and wanted to join the fight, and then the word ally was everywhere. Uh, people were making a pretty big spectacle really over their self to describe allyship. Um, and, I, and, and I thought it was great that these, these folks wanted to be a part of the solution, but it also seemed like there was just this fundamental misunderstanding of what being a part of the solution of what being an ally really meant. Um, you know, so I, a lot of what I saw and heard, and this was in, in written pieces in the media, um, it was on, like on social media, this was from, from CEOs and from, from company statements, just in passing conversations, there was a lot of, um, for lack of a better word, virtue signaling or performative allyship, um, which is really what it's come to be called. Um, you know, things like people putting black boxes on their social media profiles or suddenly uh, these really perfunctory uh, land acknowledgements. Um, we saw so many of like, essentially just toothless commitments to, to, to racial justice from, again, from CEOs and organizations. And, and it all, quite frankly, really just frustrated me because it was a lot of this energy being poured into looking like an ally and not as much of, like really no energy from, from, certain, from certain areas of like actually doing it. Um, so here we had people that were finally waking up to these deeply ingrained inequities and injustices. And the response was just to say a lot, but do nothing. Um, so I thought it was really important just to refocus on what allyship really means, what it actually looks like, what it sounds like, um, because that was, I thought was gonna be really crucial to capturing the momentum um, of the time and to, to begin making real progress. Thanks, Scott. So the title of our book is Racial Justice at Work. So when you hear the term racial justice, what does that mean to you and what trends are you seeing? Yeah, um, so I'll get a little um, a, a little abstract here. So I, I, I love I love poetry, um, as you all know, um, but as our listeners um, are, are about to find out. So um, Langston Hughes wrote a poem called Justice, uh, and I'm going to read it. So I'm just going to turn here just to read it. Um, that justice is a blind goddess, is a thing to which we black are wise. Her bandage hides two festering sores that once perhaps were eyes. So I think if you read that, if you hear it now, we all know what that means. We know what the sentiment is behind and it is unfortunately still resonant today. So to me, racial justice is essentially making Langston Hughes' poem irrelevant, right? I want it to be an historical artifact. To, to that be of its time. When that poem no longer resonates, I think that is gonna be racial justice. Wow, thank you. Um, read that again. That justice is a blind goddess is a thing to which we black are wise. 
Her bandage hides two festering sores that once perhaps were eyes. Mm, that is really, really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you. Thank you for that. So when you um, think about um, allyship in the context of racial justice, what does it really look like? What are some give us give our listeners some practical ways to take it from the performative, you know, to the the real. And I like I like to say that we're you know aspiring um, aspiring allies, right? Because there's always something. Uh, it should be an ongoing learning. It should be an ongoing learning journey. And what would that journey uh, entail? Yeah. Um, so. This is something that this is something I've thought about a, a, a lot recently it, about allyship as as a journey, and I think it does actually dovetail with the the part of Gabby's question about uh, about trends. One of the trends I'm seeing uh, is that we had started talking a lot about justice, right? Our, our, uh, in 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 our work uh, as a society, we're talking a lot about justice, and now justice is becoming taboo again. Um, the word justice is becoming taboo. But I think allyship fundamentally needs to work towards justice. This idea, like it needs to be justice-centered. So I think um, when I say that I've been thinking a lot about that, that allyship journey, there's, um, there's a gentleman named Dr. Keith Edwards who's been doing um, social justice work for a long time. He's been talking about allyship for a long time and he has a model um, that I think is really interesting. Um, he talks about how in an allyship journey, um, the typical development is going from um, the sort of self-centered allyship where a person is really, um, they're an ally to a person, to an individual. They're an mm -hmm. ally um, because they know somebody, right? It's to empower, it's, it's to empower them. Um, or to support, really to protect them. Um, and then the next step is when you start to move a little bit more, um, you start to move, sorry, move uh, more externally. Um, and it's more altruism. It's about empowering them. It's for another group of people, right? And that's when you start to get into that white, the, the white saviorist feeling um, or dynamic. And then finally, the next, the, the final step in being an ally is um, justice. That is the final step. When you realize that it is, it's about, it's about the collective. It's about empowering us together. And I think that framework, that idea of um, working towards um, or developing towards becoming justice-centered, realizing that it isn't about um, it's not about you, right? As an ally, it's, it's not about you. It's not about naming yourself that It's or, or looking like an ally. It is what can you do as an individual um, to empower the collective? And so um, I think about it in terms of, it, it can be hard, it can be hard figuring out where to start, mm -hmm. you know? So think about where you can start individually. As an individual, what can you do? Well, you can reframe your own thinking. Right? You, can, uh, you can understand where you come from, why you have the lenses that you do, why you have the perspectives that you do, the biases and prejudices that you do. You can question those and start to break those down yourself. 
Um, but then uh, you can, and then you have to look at interpersonal, right? So what can you do interpersonally? You can change the way you interact with people, right? And sometimes that's um, in a work situation, it can just look like somebody says something offensive or they do something that, um, you know, uh, shuts down um, a, a person of color trying to share something in, in, in a meeting. You can call that out. Right? You can call out the behavior and call them into conversation. That's what you can do interpersonally. Um, so what are the situations if somebody just like, they make a comment, they tell a joke that um, that's racist or that's, that's harmful, right? Um, so what are those interpersonal things that you can call out, those interpersonal things you can do? And then the big one is, is the systemic bit, right? Um, the systemic part. What can you do systemically to change the policies, procedures, things like that. And that is that is a lot harder. And I think sometimes uh, in that journey to allyship, people want to jump, jump to, like they want to change the system. Um, but they haven't necessarily done the work internally to know, you know really what your place is in changing the systems. Um, but then when you do get to that place where you can, where, where you're looking at um, breaking down systems or reimagining these systems, um, a lot of times that's just, that's advocacy. That's when you're in your workplace to call out the fact that maybe your meeting procedures are inequitable or that the bereavement policy um, doesn't allow for, you know, a wide range of what, what family really is. When you start to see, like, when you see those policies, those procedures, call it out and advocate for changes of those policies. Um, that's how you can start to move the needle systemically, even if you're not necessarily in a position of hierarchical power. Thanks, Scott. This is really connecting to your chapter because I remember, I believe you were, you mentioned something about how allyship is an action. It's more of a verb than it is a noun. And so these are some actions people can take. Um, I'm curious, I want to go back to this idea of internal work that allies need to do. Can you speak more to that? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, so I think I'm going to start in a place that might seem a little weird, but this is, this is just... I think I've been thinking about this so much recently that you hear in resistance, people, when they're speaking from a place of resistance, you're so often, I don't, I don't want to feel ashamed to be white. I don't want to feel embarrassed about being white. When I hear that, what that says to me is that that person has not done any of the internal work. Right? Like if you're sitting in shame and embarrassment for who you are, about your about your race, about your whiteness, then you just need to you need to push through that discomfort and you need to figure out where that's coming from. Because ultimately, as I said, it's not about you, right? It's not about the individual, it's about the collective. And feeling ashamed or embarrassed doesn't help. Right, that's that's not going to be helpful for anyone. But it is part of the growth stage because now you're starting to now you're starting to see your place in context of a racialized society, which for a lot of white people they haven't really done that before. They haven't really thought um, about where they fit in or why race does or doesn't matter to them. And so I think that's what leads to that that, that feeling of of shame and embarrassment. Right? It's like I remember. Um, I live in, as I mentioned, I live in Baltimore. There was um, a, a local business owner here, a white woman, uh, in the summer of 2020, who uh, made a really inflammatory Instagram post talking about how there, uh, 
she hates white people, there should be white genocide. And, and I'm only vaguely paraphrasing. It was, it was really intense. As I said, this was a white woman. And of course there was a lot of appropriate furor over that. When I thought about where that came from, I get it, I do. I, I absolutely understand like why you would feel that anger towards, you know, to, towards white people, towards your own people. Um, now, cause now you're starting to wrestle with your own complicity. Like what, what might you be complicit in? And it's really easy to say, they're the bad ones. I'm one of the good ones. Or just to like sort of throw your hands up and be like, we shouldn't even exist, right? But when you start digging into it, when you start to do that work, when you really understand fundamentally who you are, what your cultural lenses are, what your perspective is, where, like, why you are who you are, why you think the way that you think, then you can start to really, you can find your place in this work. You know, what it, we can talk about it in, in terms of sphere of influence or what your passion is, what you're good at. And you can move past this, the, this embarrassment, this shame, start to realize that it's not about you as a white individual, right? It is about our racialized society that centers whiteness. Um, and that's the system that we need to break down, right? But you cannot get there. I, 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 the more I think about it, the more I think you really can't get there until you've done that internal work because you're still gonna be, you're still gonna be sitting in these really unhealthy, in these really unhealthy places that you haven't wrestled with. Well, Scott, um, I, another question just popped up as you were speaking. I'm very curious as to why you are the way that you are. What is driving you in this work? I don't know if you could share a little bit more about your personal journey. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think my my personal journey deviates a whole lot, honestly, from from the model I shared a, a, a little mm -hmm. earlier. And and I, I could, and it's why that resonates with me. I can almost track it. Perfectly. So I started off um, in my professional career. Well, I, I, after graduate school, I um, was in city year for two years in um, Downriver, Detroit, uh, so Southgate, Michigan, just just south of Detroit. Um, and I did education programming uh, for for city year there. Um, that led me into my job as uh, a middle school teacher in uh, DC public schools. And through both of those experiences, I was exposed to a level of socioeconomic discrepancy, uh, to put it diplomatically, that I'd never seen before. I grew up in a, I grew up in a, in a privileged, um, predominantly, and I mean 99% white um, area of Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati was and still is one of the most segregated cities in the country, right? So when we talk about um, the types of experiences that can lead you to these understandings, I never had this. I never had the exposure. I never had the experiences um, until until city year, until I was teaching. Um, and then I started to think about I need to help my students. I need to help these kids, right? It was it was in that very much that self. Um, yeah, I was very much very much trying to protect a them, right? Um, so that's where it started. From there, I started to see the systemic problems, right? Especially when I was teaching, it was I want to protect them. I want to do what I can to for my students, my students that I love. 
But then I started to see that there were just these structural issues that I had absolutely no control over, right? As a teacher that had them for a couple hours a day, um, there was very little that I could do. And so then I wanted to move to, like, I moved to that next step, right? Which is, I wanted to empower them. I wanted to fix some of these issues. Um, and then um, just tracking my, my professional career, I ended up working for four city year DC and uh, I, I was an instructional coach there. And that's when I really started to have some of these rich conversations about systemic racism. And that's when my understanding really moved into that last justice centered piece. That, that that last section, where like where now it's like I realize that we are a collective. There's a there's a there's a, a concept of, of Ubuntu, um, which is I am because you are. We are only human through each other. Um, that's one of City Year's core core tenets, and that really resonated with me. Right, like moving from from having to carry it all myself and then become and instead becoming a part of a collective that's working towards justice for everyone. Wow, this is really, um, really fascinating. I've learned some new things about you as well, um, Scott. So what I'm hearing is that you know, it's really important um, to do your own work, your own internal work. You want to be um, an ally. And also, I think your motivation for wanting to be an ally, right? Because um, if you're coming from a place of, um, you know, white saviorism, um, or if you're coming from a place of, um, you know, it's about, it's, it's about me and, and then that, that place of it's about I'm going to help you versus the collective uh, idea of we're going to work, we're going to work together. And I think that leads to um, being more curious and asking questions, right? Uh, asking um, how, you know, can I, how can we work together? What, will, what would be, you know, important for you versus the assumption that, um, that you know, so I think that there's um, cultural humility that also comes with being uh, being an ally. You know, this has been this has been really really a great conversation, and um, the work the work of allyship, the work of justice, as we say practically every time we do one of these episodes, is difficult. It's complex. It's can be emotionally draining. Um, so how do you fill your cup? What do you do to maintain um, your well-being given the climate that we find ourselves in? That's a great question. And, and to, to be perfectly honest, I, I, th this is something that I, um, I need to do better at is just being intentional and mindful about filling my cup. Mm -hmm. um, I think quite frankly, just, just coming from the position of, you know, multiple intersecting privileges that I do, it, it doesn't affect me the way that it does my, you know, my colleagues of color doing this work every day doesn't, it just doesn't have that same emotional load. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And it also allows me to um, hopefully in some ways actively act as an ally and take some of that burden off of, um, you know, off of my colleagues. That being said, it's not that it, it isn't nothing, right? And so I, I do, I do still fill my cup. I just, it's, it's not something that I've really actively thought about. What do I do? And so what I mentioned earlier, when I really, when I think about it, what, what I actually do is, 
I love being outside. Right now it's gardening. Gardening. It, uh -huh. it's, it, it's absolutely gardening. Like I, I, I'll, I'll go out there and just getting my hands in the soil is, is part of it. And I listen to music a lot. I listen to music most pretty much constantly. Um, and I and I noticed this yesterday as I was um, as, as I was reflecting on this question that again it's totally subconsciously not something I thought like I, I wasn't mindful of what I was doing. If I'm wrestling, if I'm really wrestling with something or I'm starting to feel down, I'll put music on and just like open the windows, get the fresh air in, and then that just takes me to an entirely different place. And so even while I'm actively doing the work, if I put music on, it can help me like power through those those hard times. So. Um, and it's yeah, you know, and it's not always gardening. Sometimes it's it's like I walk my dog every day, but it's it's definitely something out. There's always something outdoors, and it's always music. This conversation has been music to our ears. Thank you for sharing your perspective, and Mary Frances, thank you for being the best co-host. Um, thank you to the listeners, and Mary Frances. Until next time, continue to reimagine racial justice at work. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>